This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 345. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and today I've got Matthew Marister on the program with me. What's going on, man? Yo, dog. <laughs> uh, we are here do- bringing to you a legislative update episode. So uh, now with the new format, about once a month we do a legislative update episode. So it is that time of the month. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so today we're going to be talking about some news stories from around the, the nation. Yeah, some of these are on a more federal basis, some are more state issues, but it's all relevant. Number one, because we have listeners in all of the 50 states. Number two, because something that's happening in Washington state or California state or New York state could be coming to a state near you soon, whether Absolutely. you think so or not. Uh, even if you are in a so-called safe state or a safe place, <laughs> uh, it doesn't mean it'll be that way forever. All right. So it's good to see the tactics and what is going on in our various of uh, the 50 states and be sharp, right? We got to be on top of it, uh, on top of our game and making sure that uh, we're standing up for the Second Amendment and our rights. Okay, so today's episode is brought to you by Guardian Nation, first of all. Uh, we would encourage you to take, take a look at Guardian Nation and all of its various amazing benefits. You can do so by going to GuardianNation.com. GuardianNation.com is a website. And if you like what you see there and would like to take advantage of a free 14-day trial, uh, please do so by using the link concealedcarry.com forward slash 14-day. All right, concealedcarry.com forward slash 14DAY. We'll add the 14-day trial automatically to your cart, and you'll be able to check out and try it for 14 days. No obligation, no commitment. See if you like it. If you do, we hope that you'll stay on as a member. Good deal. Also, today's episode is made possible by the firearm, firearm, vehicle firearm tactics video course. This is this comprehensive training video course about how to defend yourself inside, outside, and around your vehicle will provide the info and tools to do so. Uh, so check it out. Concealedcarry.com forward slash VFT. The link there to check out Vehicle Firearm Tactics, a video training course available both online streaming and in DVD format, depending on which you prefer. And that is a video course produced by our team here at concealedcarry.com. We did that one about a year and a half or so ago. Uh, it still sells pretty well, but we'd like to encourage you to take a look if you haven't seen it yet. Alrighty, so uh, we're going to be on a fairly abbreviated format today due to uh, uh, my schedule and Matthew's schedule. Mine meaning that we started late and Matthew's meaning that we have to end early. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, not a good combo. <laughs> and actually, we don't have a ton of stories. We, we probably could have pulled more stories if we really wanted to. But we're going to talk about a couple that we think are pretty relevant and important as of right now. We've got some stories uh, uh, coming to you from a, a variety of states. we got California and Washington and uh, New Hampshire, I know, is in, is in the mix as well. Uh, but we're going to talk about a couple of uh, nationwide issues as well. We will be announcing the winner of this 
this week's weekly giveaway for the podcast. And uh, in case you're not familiar with the giveaway, we give away great product every week. All you got to do is sign up completely 100% free. And you can sign up at concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. You got to do it every week though. From Tuesday to Tuesday, the clock and the list and everything resets. And if you don't sign up at least during at least once during that week somewhere, then you're missing out, okay? Because you could be the next lucky winner. Today's winner will be receiving a copy of the Defense of Property DVD, a video course from Andrew Branca, attorney at Law of Self-Defense. It's a good one, trust me. So, one lucky winner we will announce at the end of the episode today. We hope that you'll stick around to find out who. And again, get signed up each week, concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. Matthew, first story this week, we got one, uh, boy, I'll tell you what, it's been like schizophrenic almost, you know, uh, Congress and President Trump Trump and everything as far as are we pro-gun, are we anti-gun, are we not? I don't, I don't know what's going on some, some days because we hear certain things from the White House that are like, we're going to look take a look at red flag laws, we're going to take a look at this thing, that thing, and then President Trump it seems like turns around and says something else, suggesting, no, we're not going to come after your guns and gun rights. <laughs> yeah. This, this story is out of Politico. Uh, it says, Republicans start to sour on gun control laws after Trump's reversal. And actually, it says here, Senate Homeland Security Chairman Ron Johnson is casting major doubt on the prospects of significant gun regulations passing this fall. The latest sign that the effort to pass new firearm laws is starting to falter. Yeah, for good reason. You guys better not renege <laughs> on uh, promises to your constituents because I guarantee you almost everybody, it, especially on the Republican side of the House and Senate, and including President Trump, who has appeared at like every NRA annual meeting since elected and including the one leading up to his election, saying, hey, we're on your side. We love the Second Amendment. And then because of all this stuff that happens recently, all this stuff meaning a couple of shootings, and not that those shootings weren't terrible shootings, but you know what? Living in a free country means that sometimes crap happens. And you know what? There's ways of dealing with that crap. And I'm resolved to try to do everything that I can to deal with that crap, meaning not (laughs) allow that kind of stuff to happen again, or at least if it does, to not happen as badly as it sometimes has. But we have these guys, you know, we've seen a few uh, uh, senators and also representatives in the House start to act a little bit soft on some Second Amendment related issues. One of those is a nationwide red flag bill that, now this doesn't necessarily come as a huge surprise. Joe Manchin out of West Virginia, a Democrat who has run as a moderate pro-gun Democrat. And I I think he's probably sincere in that as far as I think he does generally believe in the second amendment. Mm -hmm. Um, He's been, he's been on our side before, but at the same time he is more moderate. Right. And he is, um, I mean, somebody behind the scenes is always pulling strings, right? Right. Somebody somewhere is telling him, um, buddy, we're going to take some of your campaign fu- funding away. We're going to do this. We're going to do that, right? But we also have Senator Pat Toomey from Pennsylvania getting on board with this re- with this national red flag bill as well, right? So, uh, what, what's going on here, Matthew? 
Yeah. I mean, you, you hit it on the, uh, on the head, right? Like, so everybody was up in arms about Trump saying, yeah, we're going to, we're going to look at it. We're going to think about red flag laws. And he says that about everything, right? Like that's his go-to phrase. Like we're going to look at it. We're going to look into it. We're going to do this or that. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's what his, his response is. And it gets everybody kind of like, okay, the Republicans are going to start shifting, but I think there's a couple things in play. Like number one, um, everything is volatile right after a shooting, right? Or especially a couple shootings back to back. So everything's volatile at that point. Everybody's saying things, um, emotion, reacting emotionally, right? And that's not a bad thing. But sometimes, you know, you say things that after you sit down and look at, well, what can we do that would have stopped this? And you're kind of like none of these ideas would have stopped this. And then you start to kind of think about things. And I think one of the big issues is that the politicians, everybody's calling for a federal law or federal gun control laws, right? Where really, you know, even if you're not a pro-gun person, you, I, I mean, with the exception of a lot of socialist ideas and things, the federal government shouldn't be really having to put a, a red flag law into effect. If if you're a, a senator or if you're representing a state, then petition that state to to do red flag laws. And if the the people in that state want them, then you know they'll elect people that want red flag laws and will enact it. So I, I I'm always for the the solution to be the smaller solution at the smaller level, right? Like affect gun change. If you want to, to produce gun control bills, you know, every single day of the week, then do it at the state level. You'll be much more successful in getting that passed than at the federal level. And and because the federal level, federal government is just not designed to do sweeping, huge, broad things like that. They're just not. And and, and rightfully so. So I, I think that's kind of where I'm you know, why I think this is kind of swinging back. Plus there's elections coming and, and all that. But uh, I, I like the, the quote from uh, uh, what's his name? Mike Braun. I don't know. It, it sort of, you know, solidifies the thought of what they do on Capitol Hill. And it says, we need to do something. This is a quote. We need to do something to show that we're doing something rather than just kicking it down the road. So it's like, we need to do something. I don't know what we're going to do, but just to show that we're doing something. So it doesn't have to be something productive or anything, just to show that we're doing something. And which is what they, which is totally stupid, right? Like, so- (laughs) We need to do something for the sake of doing something. Exactly. It doesn't matter if it works. This describes the the jobs of our nation's politicians right now anyway, because it's always about- I got to do something so it appears that I'm doing something so my constituents think I'm awesome and reelect me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I don't know if he meant to say that, but he certainly did. And that's exactly <laughs> what, I mean, the truth is there. So well, that's kind of like, you know, passing certain, certain bills and then saying we got to pass it so that then we can find out what's actually in the bill. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. anyway. <laughs> Maybe so, things aren't the horizon um, so bad. You know, we, we know we have a, a House of Representatives that's controlled by a party that it has made it very clear that they're, they would love to come after our guns mm-hmm. and they'd love to pass some gun legislation, uh, gun control legislation that would supposedly address uh, the 
recent active or shootings that have occurred, and at least on behalf of gun rights. Uh, and but certainly we have the political wherewithal and, and and backing to keep whatever happens in the House from really going anywhere. But it appears that we have some senators, uh, at least on the Senate side of things. And, and I'll probably even a few representatives that are willing to just roll over and let, you know, Nancy Pelosi and her cronies have their way with it, right? None of this will turn out good on the behalf of gun owners and their rights. Okay. So, um, you know what? I learned something recently. I did not know this. Uh, shows you how much I knew. I know, <laughs> which is very little. <laughs> I mean, I'm a generally pl- pretty politically interested individual. Um, I participate in a lot of political processes, including my local caucuses and have been, you know, an an elected caucus representative at the local and state level on more than one occasion, uh, because I think, well, Hey, that's, that's part, part of how our government works, uh, as its current structure, at least here in Colorado. And so I've done my part to get involved at times, but here's something I did not know. And I, I did not know that and I guess this may or may not be true on a state level, but I know that in the case of our national senators and representatives, so those guys that are working on the federal level, if you write a letter, it has to be logged. Like if you write a physical letter and send it, it has to be logged. And so it's noted. And I don't know to the extent of its logging, but to me, it seems if you're logging a letter, you're probably making note of, well, it's about this and this is the person that sent it. As opposed to sending an email, uh, it does not have to be logged. And in fact, it can be, can be ignored. And it's not that by writing a physical letter that you're guaranteed to get a response or anything like that. But I found that interesting and it made me think, hmm, okay, maybe I should do a little bit better job of writing physical letters. Because if it has to be logged, then I guarantee it's causing somebody some work to have to actually log that information. And so if enough of us send letters. And I'm not saying like that's the only solution to being politically involved. I'm just saying that that's a solution. Mm-hmm. And it is something that just about anybody can do. It's relatively inexpensive to do. It's relatively easy to do. You can pen a simple letter, send it to your representative or your senator and say, I do not agree with Bill such and such, or I support Second Amendment and I hope you do too, right? That sort of thing. Anyway, uh, let's move on. Because we got to talk about uh, a couple other things here. USA Today reports Parkland students, and I hate, by the way, that it, 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 so often we just see it referred to as this, the Parkland students. <laughs> and by Parkland students, that means it's the anti-gun ones because all Parkland students are anti-gun. And I know that's not the truth. Exactly. Because there's definitely some Parkland students that are on the pro-gun side of things, even after the, t- the, the terrible thing that occurred a little more than, a year, you know, about a year and a half ago now um, on their campus. But anyway, this is, I'm just reading you the title of the article. Parkland students announce gun control plan aimed to have, that means cut in half, gun violence rate in 10, 10 years. Mm-hmm. First of all, Matthew, I love the fact <laughs> that they are so sure of themselves that everything that we are going to do will lead to cutting gun violence by half in 10 years. It's it's absolutely (laughs) ridiculous. Like I know David Hogg hasn't been in the media for a while, so he's like, I gotta get out there, right? I gotta do something. So he's out there, and and here here's like the plan, right? So in addition to cutting the violence, gun violence by half in in ten years, um, they're going to start uh, federal 
um, or FEC and IRS investigations into the NRA because that is one of the, the, the things that is going to cut gun violence in half, apparently. So that's what they want to do. The other thing is they want to create a Peace Corps, right? And, and, and once you turn 18, you are obligated, you will automatically be enrolled in the Peace Corps. And that is going to be um, a Peace Corps for gun violence prevention. So as soon as your child you know, or you turn 18, then you are automatically enrolled in the, the government Peace Corps against firearms. It's insane. How is that going to, I mean, it's, it's crazy. And, and what I don't understand is like, he, he, I imagine that this is like the meeting that went on with David Hogg. He's like, um, you know, Hey David, what are we going to do? We got to stop the gun violence. So, you know, what are we going to do? We got to stop people from dying. He's like, yeah, let's, let's, let's cut it in half. And they're like, uh, let's stop every gun violence, you know, let's, let's stay, save everybody. No, let's, let's just cut it in half. Okay, David, I know, you know, I'm being a little bit ambitious. Maybe, yeah, let's cut it in half. We could do that like by what, the end of the year, a couple of years. No, 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 let's, let's, let's wait about 10 years to do that. But David, that, that seems like ridiculous. How are we going to even accomplish this? Well, if we, if we investigate the NRA, I'm sure we'll stop some gun deaths, right? I mean, it's, it's totally, I don't understand, but I mean, in a time where like people just do things just to do them, you know, we have to act just so we show that we're acting, he's totally acting. And it's just, it just further shows like what a buffoon this kid is. And and this whole idea, I mean, I'm not against wanting to cut gun violence in half, you know, or, or save people's lives. I'm, I'm totally for that. I'm just, this is, it's ridiculous. Like the proposals are ridiculous. So, but, uh, you know, maybe I got on a, on a tangent there. Sorry. Well, you're fired <laughs> up for sure. Um, it's, and it's not just David Hogg, right? Like we, yeah, yeah. Your, your comments focused on him quite a bit, but there's, there are other individuals here uh, at work. And by the way, this organization is backed by Michael Bloomberg. Uh, so that, that should come as no surprise. And, and really the, these younger people are being used as tools, exactly. uh, to further former mayor Bloomberg's, uh, anti-gun agenda. Right. Um, they, uh, I, so their plan, they're referring to it as their peace plan for a safer America. Uh, so here's the tenets of this plan, change the standards of gun ownership. All right. So they want to, uh, have a national licensing and regist- registry system, okay? A ban on assault weapons, high-capacity magazines, policies to disarm gun owners who pose a risk to themselves, and a national gun buyback program to reduce the estimated 265 to 393 million firearms in circulation by at least 30%. That's not insignificant. No. Two, have the rate of gun deaths in 10 years. All right? We already talked about that. That's, that's their goal. Uh, account, by the way, that's not a bad goal. I'd love to have the, the, the amount of gun deaths reduced. Certainly. Just I'm not convinced that their way of doing that is what it would actually achieve. Be- mostly because could we actually do some, like could we actually do na- nationwide gun bans, confiscations, all this stuff, and reduce the total number of guns in this country? I don't think we could get rid of them entirely. That's like on, uh, there's just no way that's going to happen in a place like America. Um, just like they haven't been able to get rid of all the guns in Australia. Uh, just like gun confiscations haven't worked elsewhere. But I think you could make a, a pretty big impact and it probably would reduce in fewer gun violence deaths as far as the ones that actually are recorded, <laughs> statistically right. speaking. What I don't think they would 
plan on counting is the number of potential deaths avoided on the good guy side of things, particularly because most, by the way, most gun deaths are not, well, I I don't know if I should say most, but a substantial amount of gun deaths are perpetrated by by gangs and gang-related crime, drug-related crime, et cetera, et cetera. So on the homicide side. Right. On ha- on not the even homicide. suicide. Right, right. And, and even just, you know, gun-related violence, meaning those that are shot or whatever but don't die, like a lot of that is gang and or drug-related violence, right? Absolutely. Um, okay, so and then there's all kinds of other violence. But my where I'm going with this is that what's not counted, and it is a difficult statistic to count, and so dang near impossible even, but we know based on our justified save stories that we do on the podcast, uh, well, it used to be every week, but now you know at least we do them at least once a month now, um, that there are lives saved every day across America, every day and every night. Lives are saved by good guys and gals with guns because they're able to prevent bad things from happening to them, Right. And that is, that is the status quo. Lives are saved regularly on a daily basis because of the gun laws that we do have in this country, or meaning the ability for regular citizens to own and possess common firearms and use them in self-defense. Mm-hmm. You take that away in lar- to a large degree, you will see people die that shouldn't die. It's just a fact. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bunch of other things they want to do. Okay. So I was going to go down the whole list, but due to time, I'm going to move on. All right. Um, let's see. Blue lives matter. A popular website, uh, reports judge upholds gun ban, noting semi-automatic rifles fire 500 min- uh, rounds per minute. <laughs> mm. Uh, this comes to us out of California. This was a circuit court, I think ruling, uh, yeah. the, 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 actually no. Well, yeah, it's a U.S. district judge, Josephine Staten of Santa Ana, she rejected a challenge by the California Rifle and Pistol Association to the California law prohibiting the sale, manufacturing, and ownership of semi-automatic rifles. Judge Staten called the weapons incredibly effective killing machines, said that they are not necessary for self-defense. Never mind that we have documented instances of people using them in self-defense. Uh, the judge cited erroneous congressional findings that semi-automatic rifles fire at a rate of 300 to 500 rounds per minute, making them virtually indistinguishable from machine guns. Uh, okay. First of all, 500 rounds per minute is a 0.12 split. Okay. Split time. All right. Is it possible for the human finger to move and fire a 0.12 split? Yes, it is possible. Very few people can actually do it, but there are individuals that can shoot at a rate that fast. Uh, okay. So, but can that be sustained for over a long period of time? No, I doubt even Jerry Michalik could sustain a 0.12 split for more than five to 10 seconds, right? And even then, like you, you had to slow down. And even then, like you have to perform reloads, right? Now a 300 round per minute uh, split time is 0.20. That's very realistic for a lot of people. But again, can you sustain it over a long period of time? No. Do you still have to reload? Even with high capacity magazines? Yeah, you do. Uh, but to compare a semi-automatic gun to a fully automatic gun, it's not even close. Fully automatics fire at more like 0.04 to 0.06 splits, like almost basically double or almost double uh, uh, the the number that uh, Judge Staten used. Uh, so, and again, it's just not realistic for semi-automatic 
you know, guns to be able to fire at the rate rate that she is even suggesting. Right. So anyway, that's beside the point, but uh, go ahead, Matthew. I just wanted to add in, and I think like sometimes these are red herrings, like we're focusing on like the rounds per minute. Mm -hmm. Honestly, like what difference does it make if you shoot 300 or 350 rounds a minute or 200 rounds a minute? I mean, yes, in the Las Vegas shooting, they made a big deal about, you know, the, the, the rate of fire because of bump stocks and things like that. But like, I, I, I'm struggling to understand how just because you can shoot something fast, it becomes indistinguishable from a machine gun when it is completely distinguishable because it's not like it, it functions differently. Right. And so it is totally distinguishable because it is not, it doesn't function like a machine gun. And, and you know, she, she says that these are weapons of choice for gangs, hate groups, and mentally deranged persons bent on mass murder, period. But she, it could have been comma and people wanting to defend themselves from gangs, hate people, parts of hate groups and mentally deranged people with AR-15s, right? Like if you put that caveat on there, then it's like, oh, there's people that actually use these for good. You know, they go out and shoot at sporting clubs and things like that. And they defend them. Oh, okay. So it's not just a, 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 a indistinguishable machine gun that only gangs and mentally deranged people use. Like it's, it's so it, it, the, the, I, I don't know. I just, it, it's so the, the, the view of certain things are so specific that it, it, it you know, it, it just fits a certain mold and you're missing out on, uh, on every other legal person that, uses this for good, you know, and it's, yep. it's weird, man. I, I don't know. Yep. You know, besides like people want to point at this whole, well, the whole purpose of the second amendment is for self-defense. Like some people, right? Like, like that was part of the, the, this judge's logic is, well, AR-15s or semi-automatic rifles are not necessary for self-defense. Well, who, who's to say what's necessary for self-defense or not. Right. And, and like, so, I don't. I don't know what relevance that um, that standard has. Now I, I realize, like, we could go back to the Heller case and a few others, you know, recent rulings that kind of point to some of those things. But uh, I heard something really interesting on another on another uh, another person say uh, recently that uh, they were talking about. You know, the next time you uh, meet somebody that you know makes some comment about citizens not needing firearms that are uh similar to like what the military has right military right. you know like no no we don't need military grade firearms we could debate whether they are actually military grade or not and in fact i've gone on record i've i've told people before that have tried to say ar-15s are not are not military grade and i've actually said actually some modern civilian ar-15 manufacturers probably actually make a better ar-15 than a u.s army issued m4 <laughs> I agree. Totally. <laughs> like there's some really good quality stuff out there, guys. Okay. Now, might it not have select fire? Yeah, it might not. Your your civilian one might not have select fire. That's true. But that's beside the point. Anyway, but uh uh anyway, the, the, back to where I was going with that is that it's the next person next time someone says to you, why why do civilians need military grade uh, weaponry? And uh the response should be, uh, did you enjoy your fourth of July? Uh, well, yes. Why, why do you ask? Well, because that holiday exists because citizens had access to military grade weaponry. Right. <laughs> right. Our whole country exists because citizens had access to 
military grade weaponry. <laughs> anyway, there's a bigger purpose even than self-defense to the idea of the Second Amendment. All right, but our audience knows that. Moving on. Q13fox.com, a news station in Washington State, reports that a Tacoma council member proposes tax on guns and ammo. Matthew, give us the skinny on this one. Yeah, so this is um, this is a, a plan that or a law that's gone in in, in a couple other areas, um, and where taxation is used to control a desire or get a desired outcome from the people that they're ruling over, right? So uh, they want to tax guns and ammunition, and it's an interesting comment. Um, so I'll tell you what it is. Uh, like Seattle's uh, law, uh, Mello, the congressman who proposes, said there would be a $25 tax on all gun purchases, all of them. There would also be a two cent per round tax on ammunition, uh, 22 caliber and below, and a five cent tax on ammunition, 22 caliber and above. Um, so similar to like a gas tax, I guess, you know, per gallon. So they try to tax it so you'll drive less by, you know, using less gasoline. Um, but here, here's one quote that I, I think is, is sums up his, his uh, intentions. Um, he says, I absolutely know most gun owners are responsible individuals, comma, but we need the revenue to do appropriate youth violence prevention programming. Bingo. There you go. Like, okay, so you're telling me you can't, you can't invest in, if youth violence prevention programming is so important that it would affect all your constituents, then tax raise your sales tax, raise lobby for another tax or something like that. But why are you focused on people that you know are responsible individuals and punishing them with such a burdensome tax, it's totally bogus. And so, you know, it's just a punishment to gain money, revenue, so they can spend it on something that you know that they won't spend it correctly on. Because anytime the government spends something, they, you know, they waste 80% of it. So, it's it's ridiculous, but that statement caught my eye as I was I was reading that because I was like, he just exposed the the main crux of why he wants to do this. Yep, raising revenue. It, it, yeah, there, but, you can't but tell with you, the feel good aspect of it, we're exactly. doing something to help combat gun yep. violence in our yep. state. We had three gun related deaths. What do you say? Last month or last week or something? And I'm like, well, it's Tacoma, Washington. I mean. I mean, what about like mental, like what about for suicide prevention or suicide help or things like that, right? Like that, I mean, I understand that gun violence is, a, is an issue, but compared to suicide with firearms, that's much higher. And, and so it's like, it's, it's just bogus. It's like, we're just going to punish these people and we're going to spin it. So it sounds like we're doing something good, but we're going to waste the money and it will get me reelected because people will be like, Oh yeah, that guy's doing something. He's doing something. We have to show that he's, you know, he's doing something. He's showing us he's doing something. Yeah. It's bogus, man. If I was, if I lived there, I'd be kind of more. By the way, with, now. with the actual numbers here, just so people know, uh, $25 tax on gun purchases, two cent per round tax on ammunition, 22 caliber and below, and five cent tax on ammunition above 22 caliber per round. So your nine millimeter that right now is cheap as it's been in a long time, uh, that's 16, 17, 17 and a half cents around is going to go up to about the same price as 40 or 45 caliber. Just an FYI. Okay. Heads up on that. Mm. Jeez. Crazy stuff. 
All right, that's Tacoma, Washington. Tacomian, Tacomians, is that what you call yourselves? I have no idea. <laughs> Tacomaites. You better be letting your city council and people know this is not going to happen on your watch. Uh, how you doing on time, Matthew? Uh, I actually, I have to bounce right now, so I apologize. I suspected so. So I wanted to give you a chance to get in any last words and also a final goodbye. Thanks, guys, for listening. And uh, yeah, now you won't have to listen to my voice anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to miss you, bro. Thanks, Sorry we didn't uh, get this all sorted out <laughs> and going a little sooner. No more venting from me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'll catch you later, brother. All right, guys. Bye. All right. So just a couple of stories left. Uh, so a, a story out of New Hampshire. This is actually some good news. All right. Governor Sununu of the state, the grand state of New Hampshire, the live free or die state of New Hampshire, he vetoed a couple of anti-gun bills. House Bill 109 would have banned the private transfer of firearms with very little exception. So essentially a, uh, a universal background check type bill. That did get passed through, and Governor Sununu said, mm-mm, not on my watch. House Bill 514 would have delayed Second Amendment rights by requiring a three-day waiting period, excluding weekends and holidays, before an individual could receive firearms that they had purchased. So, and it says there would have been some limited exemption, ex- exemptions, such as those for, for those who completed the 16-hour hunter safety course and were seeking to buy a long, long gun only. But again, Governor Sununu X'd that one. And House Bill 564 would have prohibited law-abiding citizens carrying firearms for self-defense from going on school grounds except when picking up or dropping off students and only if the firearm remained in their vehicle. This would have burdened law-abiding citizens by requiring them to unnecessarily handle firearms that are already securely holstered and leave them in their vehicle when exiting. Um. I'll be honest with you, like, I'm not sure that that one would have meant a whole lot. I'd have to dive into the details on that because that sounds an awful lot like already existing federal law. Uh, Other than, I guess, because as of right now, in my own state, I can go on school grounds with my gun as long as the gun stays in the vehicle. You see what I mean? I don't know. Anyway. He, he X'd that one too. So good for Governor Sununu, good for the citizens of New Hampshire. Uh, sounds like uh, we got good things happening there, at least with Governor Sununu. Uh, but the fact that some of these bills even got through your House and Senate in New Hampshire, guys, come on, we got to work hard to get some folks in the state legislature and at the state Senate that are on the Second Amendment side. Next up. Brooklyn Daily Eagle reports that New York's red flag gun bill goes into effect on Saturday. Now, this was actually published last week, last Thursday, I believe. So this, so now really the story would be that the red flag gun bill went into effect this last Saturday because today it's uh, Tuesday, August 27th. So this, of course, allows extreme risk protection orders to be served on people that are thought to be dangerous to themselves or others. Yeah. So there you go. Red flag law, law of the land in New York state. Not a huge surprise at a state like New York. Uh, We already have that same law here in Colorado. Florida's done the same. I think California's done the same. Hawaii, Washington, a number of other states. Yeah, it's coming. It's a wave, folks. It's coming. All right. I would have never thought just a couple years ago that Washington state was in such jeopardy to the anti-gun legislation that's occurred in the last two years. 
all right, even in the last year. That's how fast things can change. I mean, did we know, was it, was it a surprise that large population centers like Seattle uh, were, you know, and Tacoma and, you know, that's that whole area. Was that a surprise that that area was generally anti-gun? No. But did we think that we had things generally at bay guarded against from being threatened, at least on the second amendment side of things? Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't have thought that Washington state could change so quickly. All right. That's why I say we got to be on our game. We got to be sharp as attack where it comes to this stuff, because it can change so fast. And by the way, speaking of Governor Sununu, you know, I was talking earlier about writing letters to your, your legislative uh, representatives and senators and anyone else you can think of, uh, including governors. How often do we actually write a letter to someone to say, good job and thank you for being on the right side of the issue? Hmm? That probably would go a long way as well. So New Hampshireites, I think that's what you say, you should probably write a letter to Governor Sununu and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thecapitalist.com reports, I believe this is our last story, uh, fried or freed, it's F-R-I-E-D, which I love fried food, mm, tasty. Florida Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Fried, or Nikki Freed, has directed her office to remove itself from a notice of appeal seeking to overturn the state's loss in Weston versus DeSantis, in which courts ruled that Florida's gun preemption laws punitive provisions are unconstitutional. The Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services has been named in the case dating back to the prior administration. Attorney General Ashley Moody's office decided Tuesday to appeal the judge's ruling that struck down a state law that threatened tough penalties for locally approved gun regulations. The Florida gun preemption laws punishments are some of the most extreme anywhere in the nation, and the courts have rightly ruled them unconstitutional, Freed said in a written statement Wednesday morning. Okay. Well, since 1987, Florida has had what is known as a preemption law, like a number of states do. Many states do, actually. It's intended to prevent local governments from passing gun regulations that are stricter than the state firearm laws. In 2011, lawmakers passed another measure. And this is kind of remarkable if you think about it. I'm not aware of anything else like this. It included a series of steps designed to prevent local governments and officials from violating the 1987 law with its ability to impose, or excuse me, yeah, from violating the law, imposing penalties of up to $5,000 against officials and potential removal from office. Our state shouldn't threaten local elected mayors and council members with fines, lawsuits, and removal from office. We should restore local democracy and allow communities to consider common sense local measures that reflect their values, Freed went on to say. Okay, whether you agree with uh, the, the penalties or not, the, well, here's, here's actually the one good news. So the judge ruling in this case said that that the 2011 law is unconstitutional as far as the punishments, but did not strike down the, 19, the underlying 1987 law. And in fact said in accordance with the legal doctrine of preemption, the legislation may prohibit local regulation of firearms or and accessories. They just can't fine those local authorities with fines or threaten to remove them from office because they ignore the preemption statute and pass their local local their local regulations anyway. My concern would be, 
I, I understand what the judge said here, but my, under, my concern would be that we have a preemption law here in Colorado that because it apparently lacks teeth, we've gotten to a place where local governments are now going against that preemption statute, are now willfully rebelling against it and getting away with it. So I don't know how else you enforce a preemption statute, but uh, I, I, I guess, you know, Florida tried to have to write some, some teeth into their law and that's now been struck down. So this may open the door to municipalities in particular passing stricter gun laws than what the state re- uh, currently regulates. So that would be possibly concerning. So just a heads up, Floridians. Okay, so that is our statute, or our statutes. <laughs> that is our stories today, folks. <laughs> Those are our stories. That'd be the more grammatically correct thing to, to say. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed uh, hearing these, these updates here in uh, this week's legislative update version of the podcast. Uh, again, we thank you all for being a part of the podcast and following us and being so loyal to uh, listening to us. Uh, I again just going back to some of the things common tenets and themes from today's episode and other episodes we've done I would encourage you to write your your representatives to write your senators to write your governors to write a whoever you think you need to county commissioners city councilors and go to meetings too that, that's another way to to be heard and to sometimes make sure that you're heard if you're able to go to a town hall meeting regardless of what level that town hall meeting is being held on uh, but to be there and to try to make sure that you get the opportunity at the mic and speak your mind and speak your piece and let them know where you stand and that you're not alone in supporting the Second Amendment. Folks, we have a we have a tough battle ahead of us. We always have. And it's not that we should be all doom and gloom all the time because there's been positive things. In fact, the Second Amendment has been expanded in a lot of ways in recent history just with concealed carry law, with constitutional carry. There's lots of amazing things that have happened and things to be grateful for. At the same time, there is an ongoing battle and we've got to keep fighting the good fight. Well, time to wrap it up. But first we got to announce this week's lucky podcast giveaway winner. So this week we are giving away a copy of the Law of Self-Defense produced Defense of Property video DVD. It's a great little DVD where Andrew Branca, attorney of law uh, at uh, Laws of Defense, where he explains when and how it is permissible and appropriate to use various levels, degrees of force in defense of property. Okay. So it's a fantastic video. If you, uh, in fact, I would just say, we all need to understand these sorts of things, these laws better. We do. So you should, you should check out the Defensive Property DVD regardless. You can find it for sale on our site. You can also find it at lawofselfdefense.com. But this week's lucky winner for signing up in the weekly giveaway, his name is Ed. Congratulations to Ed. Ed E is his last name. Starts with E, as in Ed. <laughs> Ed, Ed is our lucky winner and will be sent a copy of the Defense of Property DVD from Law Self-Defense. So congratulations, Ed. 
and everyone else for at least trying to win. <laughs> I do not have this uh, coming week's giveaway live just yet, but we'll get that up here probably the next hour or two or three. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I had to figure out what we're actually going to give away <laughs> this week and, uh, yeah, we'll get it up. All right. So make sure though you sign up each week by heading on over to concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. Uh, if you do that later this afternoon or evening or tomorrow morning, it should be up and live. No problem. All right. So, and don't forget too, that if you're able to jump in for our live broadcasts of the podcast, meaning that we air these live on Facebook every Tuesday and Thursday. If you're able to pop in, you have a chance of being a lucky winner on Thursdays. Okay. Just, just by being there and commenting, sharing uh, the, the podcast, the, the, the Facebook live feed. All right. So again, today's episode made possible by Guardian Nation. Again, if you'd like to learn more, check it out and take advantage of a free 14-day trial. Head on over to concealedcarry.com forward slash 14-day. And also, what was the other sponsor today? Uh, I already forgot. <laughs> oh, Vehicle Farm Tactics. That's right. So we've, we've got the, this great trading DVD. Uh, people seem to really like it. In fact, we sent a copy of it to Gary Quisenberry, who is a federal law enforcement officer, a respected instructor, a top competitor on History Channel's Top Shot, and just an overall good guy. And he loved the Vehicle Firearm Tactics DVD. So that was awesome to hear that uh, he thought everything that we taught in that DVD, it's about a two-and-a-half-hour, three-hour course, something like that, all, again, on, on, on a DVD, on a single disc, or you can stream it online if you tr- choose to purchase that version instead. And uh, Gary Quasenberry... He gave his thumbs up, thumbs up on the Vehicle Farm Tactics training video. You can learn more at concealedcarry.com forward slash VFT. So with that, it is time to wrap it up, say goodbye, wish you all farewell, and also give you the reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.